1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the wrath, uh, the measure rather, of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and ask now that you would bless 
both the reading, the hearing, and now the preaching for our good and for your glory. And if any in this room are without Christ, having never truly believed, having never been renewed by your spirit so that they could believe, may this be the day. And we may be able to leave rejoicing with them that they have tasted and seen that your grace is good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christians have a genuine concern for the church. That's really what, what we see in Paul here, is his genuine concern for the church. You can't miss it, can you, as you read through that. It's just, it just pulses. The whole, every verse is how much Paul loves the church. And he's just away toward all of them. But here, particularly, he's writing to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, he's gone on. He's working in another context in Macedonia. And yet, he still has them on his mind. He's concerned for them, for the church. We, we live in an in a interesting context. Um, and this is this has taken place here in in the United States, just in in my lifetime, really, where all of a sudden we've become so mobile that no one much keeps up with family anymore. People don't even live close to family much anymore. And uh, and Paul, in his being absent from this family is distressed by that. He's not particularly fond of this arrangement where he's not able to be with the church in Thessalonica. <coughs> we really are marked by rabid individualism in our culture. And it's not just ours, it's, it's, it's happening all around the world. Uh, men I know, churches I know all over the world are, are struggling with this same issue. People are more and more becoming very individualistic, very much focused on themselves or their particular neediness as they perceive it. And so they've divorced themselves from, from their world. And we see this moving right over into the church, don't we? You can nod your heads because it's true. And it's because... Uh, we don't have a proper view of, of the church. The church is a family. It's called the household of faith. It's called the bride of Christ. Both of those are family terms, aren't they? You can't ignore it. Well, you can, but you shouldn't ignore that. And I think we've we've done this. We've this is this has happened because we we've lost the concept that the church, the corporate church, the local church, the the visible body of Christ on earth, is an essential element of the gospel. Now, see if you take if you take the church out of the gospel message, 
then it's easy to see how people just show up on Sunday morning, but they're not part of the family. They don't participate in anything else. They're not vibrantly involved. They're not integrally related because they've forgotten that the church is part of the gospel. It's part of the good news. You say, well, how's that? Well, it's very simple, really. When we talk about justification, that we've been justified by God because of what Christ Jesus has done, and so through faith in Christ, the Father is then able to declare us not guilty. That's an action that takes place in the, in the courtroom. That's a legal action that takes place in the courtroom. But in that same courtroom, that same father then says, not only are you acquitted, not guilty, you can go and live your life, but he tells us and how to live our lives, and he tells us where to live our lives, and then he legally puts us in that place. And that's that sweetest of all the gospel doctrines, aspects of the gospel doctrines, and that's adoption. In that same courtroom, he not only declares us not guilty, he says, now you're adopted. You're a member of the household of faith, my home. Come have supper with me. One of the most beautiful pictures of this in the whole Bible is in 2 Samuel, isn't it? Chapter 9, David, Mephibosheth, three times to Mephibosheth, he will eat at my table forever. And then once, so to get the point, he says, like one of my sons. He makes the family very clear. We're a family just this past week. You, you're all awake enough. You didn't, you didn't stay up too late, although some I see did. You weren't really preparing for this day, so you're dozing. And so, but this is a new week. We've just started a new week. This is not this week. This is the new week. Last week, someone said to me, one of the things she loved about this church is it's like a family. And it is for those who participate, those who are involved like a family. But see, the gospel is all about us being God's family, of him adopting us into the household. It's part of the gospel, so don't forget that. Now, some of you have had bad experiences in churches. I understand that. But don't let the bad experience of some sinful men cause you to forget what God has to say about the church. You remember? Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ didn't just love individuals. He loved us as individuals, as the church. Because remember, this is from eternity. We have a hard time thinking beyond individuals. But God doesn't. Because he chose each one of us, if he did, 
He chose each one of us from eternity past. Right, Ephesians 1. And he thinks of us in terms of the church. We're the family. So keep that in mind. Don't let bad things that go on in churches here and there and may even lead to their apostatizing. Don't let those things diminish your view, your high, high, high view of the church. I want to say something James Henley Thornwell said to a, a, a person in the 19th century after he had observed and listened and read his writings. He said, you have a no, no, no churchism. I hope you don't have a no, no, no churchism. I hope you have a high, high, high churchism that you view God's church with the greatest esteem that you'll love her just as he loved her. If I'd have thought of this sooner, I'd have told Sarah that we're going to switch, but I won't do this to her. And seeing Timothy Dwight's wonderful, I love your kingdom, Lord, after we finish this. Because that's really what this passage is all about, is, is, is the evidence of Paul loving the church. Well, let's look at it. We've got four points. Some of you already thought we're not going to make it. We are. First, Paul's thankfulness for their grounding in God's word. That's where he begins. That's one of the things I said earlier. We, we're going to see some of the same themes here. His thanksgiving. He's already said this twice, how thankful he is for this church. And here he goes again. He's thankful again for them. He begins, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as the word of God. That's his first point. That's the first reason he's thankful is because they didn't just sit there and say, oh, well, that's very nice, Paul. I'll think about that. You know, they didn't do the Agrippa thing. You know, they didn't, they didn't just, well, you know, I'll think about this. I'll consider this. No, they accepted it. They received it just as it was intended. It was intended to be the word of God. Paul the Apostle, speaking inerrantly, infallibly, God's mouthpiece, a holy man moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke God's word, God-breathed word, and they received it that way. And you wonder sometimes, don't you? People sit and they hear the same thing that you're hearing, and they seem unchanged. What's the problem? Well, there could be a number of reasons for this. We go to the saddest of all reasons. Perhaps God's not giving them faith. He's not giving them ears to hear. But now you say, yeah, but I know they love the Lord. And yet, well, perhaps it's, this is the problem. Maybe they sit in judgment on God's word every week instead of receiving it as God's word every week. Now, don't say you don't do that because we're all sinners and we do, don't we? Even when we're reading it personally during the week, we can read and say, boy, is that really, am I really reading, is, am I reading that right? Did God really say? And isn't that the first 
first sin we see in the Bible? Satan's first ploy? Did God really say this? And then, then Eve said, oh, I don't know if he really said this or not. And then Adam said, well, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe you've got a point. Maybe there is another way to look at this. Instead of having this, God said it, that settles it. I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to conform my life to it by the grace of God. And he says, I'm thankful that that's what you did. You didn't sit there and say, well, you know, we live in a city that's full of different gods and full of different mouthpieces. And, uh, I, you know, I, I hear what he's saying over here, and there's some truth in that. And I hear what he's saying over here, and there's some truth in that. You didn't do that, Paul says. You heard God's word. You didn't take it as the opinion of men, and you accepted it as God's word, and it changed you. Did you notice? It's at work in you, believers. Here's a question. Is God's word read, preached, even during the week when you read it yourself, is God's word at work in you, believers? Or do you hardly remember what the preacher said by the time you get home? Or do you hardly remember what you read for those 10, 15, 20 minutes by the time you close your Bible and you go on to do the next thing and you get to thinking, I just treated that the same way I treat my sweet wife. I'll give you a good example. Yesterday, Carol comes home from the morning and she said, let's go get a bite to eat. Because she was going to be cooking, getting stuff together for the fondue last night and for this afternoon after the, the funeral. And so I said, sure, let's go get a bite. She had already told me in a text where she wanted to go, and I already checked, and they were not open. So I told her the bad news. She said, well, let's go this so-and-so. All right, great, let's go. So I get in the car, we get to the highway, and I said, um, where did you say you wanted to go? I had to know when I got to the highway because I didn't know if I needed to turn left or right. I asked her. She said it. And I didn't listen. I didn't receive it. I didn't believe it. And we do that with God's word sometimes. And Paul says, I'm thankful to you, Thessalonica, that you didn't do that. You heard it. You received it. And it's at work in you. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ. Here's how he knows it's at work in them. Because they're imitating the best churches. The churches in Judea. And Paul knows that those churches, they're steadfast. They're persevering. They've been through hell. The Jews have been at war with them, mistreating them, oppressing them, killing them. You might think, well... Paul, he goes off on a tirade here. In fact, some commentators have called it that, this tirade that Paul goes off on concerning the Jews here. Did you notice it? You suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, displeased God, opposed by hindering us, and God's wrath is upon them. 
commentators said, why did he go? What took him there? I don't pretend to be any smarter than those men, but I think it's rather easy to see why Paul went there. This little church in Thessalonica was being mistreated, persecuted, sinned against the same way that the churches in Judea were. And God was standing up for them. And if he stood up for the churches in Judea against the Jews, he'll stand up for you, Thessalonica, against your countrymen. Don't you think for a moment, Thessalonica, that they're going to get away with it. No one gets away with mistreating Christ's church. That's the message. He's thankful for this church because of the way they heard, and he's encouraging them that God's going to take good care of them. His thanksgiving for the church. The second thing, and we'll move quicker now. Paul's absence was palpable in his desire to be with them. This is verses 17 through 20. Since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. We were, we were hindered from coming to you. You just feel it, don't you? We were hindered. We couldn't come. Uh, real quickly, don't miss this. We've already seen Paul in this pericope, in this literary unit. He's referred to himself as being a mother to them in verse 7. Verse 11, being a father to them. Now, here in verse 17, he says, as we're brothers. So he's a sibling to them. But notice, since we were torn away, the word is orphaned. I'm an orphan to you. And so he's a, he's a mother, he's a father, he's a brother, and he's a child of this congregation. Now we're back to the family imagery again, aren't we? Paul just doesn't ease up on us. Every which way you look, Paul's reminding us that, that we're family. We're related to one another in Christ Jesus through this union that we have. And then he says, here's why. I, I long to be with you. Here's why this, this, this orphaned state that I'm in is, is why it's happened. Satan hinders, hindered us. We don't know what Satan did. The main point is, Paul's saying, this is not God's doing. God doesn't keep us away from each other. God wants us to be with one another. God says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. This is not God's doing when we're separated just as it wasn't God's doing when David was separated and not able to go up with the church and worship, that was because of wicked men at work. Paul says the same thing's going on here. But what is it? What is it that's causing him so much distress at being torn away? For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming. Is it not you? You're our glory and joy. Not only is this church among the other churches going to be his glory and his joy at Christ's coming, but did you notice the last sentence? 
They are right now his glory and joy. Folks, listen. Whatever is your glory and joy right now, that will be your glory and joy before the Lord when he comes. Now, that's good news for some, and that's bad news for some. But whatever you glory in and enjoy now, that'll determine your standing before Christ when he comes again. I go back to Dr. Gray Allison's little, little thing. I've said this to many of you. Some of you are too new. You haven't heard this yet, so here goes. First time for some of you new ones. We talk about what we think about. And we think about the things we love. That's an outer, isn't it? What do we talk about? Well, that's what we think about. Well, what are we thinking about then? Well, we're thinking about what we love. If people listen to us talk, day in and day out, what would they think we love? And in this case, Paul says... People know who I love. People know what I enjoy. They know I glory in the church and I enjoy the church. And that's because Christ gave himself for the church. So because I love Christ, I love his church. Because I love the church, I love Christ. It just pulses here. Paul misses them so much and this is why. Because they're his glory and his joy. Third, Paul's provision for the church is rewarded with or by their faithfulness. Paul's provision is rewarded with their faithfulness. Third, third chapter, verses 1 through 10. He says, okay, I couldn't stand it anymore. Couldn't come on my own, so I sent Timothy. I'm here in Athens, left all alone, but Timothy, our brother, and by the way, did you notice God's co-worker? That almost sounds peculiar, doesn't it? But that's who we are as Christians. We're God's co-workers here on this earth. God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. We sent him to establish and to exhort you in your faith. That's the work of the minister is to exhort and to encourage in the faith, to build people up in the faith. And so he goes on. He came back and he reported to us how wonderful things are. That's the short version of this. How faithful you're following what I taught you. You're not veering to the left or the right, not even when persecution comes. Your faith is that strong that even in persecution... You're staying on track. No left, no right. We have been comforted about you through your faith, Paul says. You see again, he's thankful for the way they receive the word. He's thankful and comforted by the way they continue in the word. I want to tell you, that's every faithful pastor's glory and joy right there. David Hall would not mind me saying this. Every time I see him, after he pastored here for 20 years, every time I see him, he says, I'm glad you're there. 
it is so good to see Covenant still on track, still going in the same direction that it was going when I left. That is every pastor's fear when a pastor leaves a church or when a pastor is retiring at old age is, what, what, I hope nothing happens. I hope this church stays faithful. Old Dr. Robert G. Lee pastored 40 years at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis. He once said that if, if anyone ever stood in that pulpit at Bellevue that didn't believe God's word, preach God's word, and call people to believe God's word, he hoped that the building would burn down on top of his head, whoever was in the pulpit. That that's what he would be praying on his deathbed. That God would keep the church faithful, and if it didn't stay faithful, burn it down. And that's every pastor's glory and joy is how is the church doing? Did you notice what Paul says? We've been comforted about you through your life. But then he ups on that. He, he, he up, one-ups it. For now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. In other words, I'd rather be dead than to hear that you're not faithful. I'd rather just die and be with the Lord than to hear that you're unfaithful and you're not following God's word. But they were. For what thanksgiving can we return to God? Here he is thanking God again for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul's provision for the church. Sending Timothy is rewarded by their faithfulness. And then last, we see this blessing. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. That's the first thing. That's his desire. He's asking the Lord, direct my way to you. Bless me, Lord, that I may go back and see them again. And then to them, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. So this is a church that's, he, he's, he's, he's standing as it were with his hands outstretched. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. But he doesn't stop there. And for all. Brackets. Mankind. So he wants them to love one another in that fellowship. But he doesn't want them to be introverted. He doesn't want them to be ingrown. He wants them to love beyond the bounds. That's one of the wonderful things about this church. I love about you is that you love. You don't just love Covenant Presbyterian Church. You love the Presbyterian Church. You love the Presbytery. You love the PCA. And you love churches beyond that. We pray for people all the time beyond the PCA. Our brothers and sisters in the OPC and the ARP and beyond in the church in Brazil and the church in Peru, the church in Honduras, the church in Belgium. And we pray on and on for all. We want, our, we want the church to flourish wherever she is found and located. And Paul says, for one another and for all as we do for you so that... He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before your God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. A desire 
for God to bless them with holiness. Because again, Paul knows that without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. Paul's concern for the church is an example for us all. So let's be thankful. Let's desire the church. Let's be a faithful church. Let's strive for holiness and ask the Lord Jesus to bless us with holiness. But then let me ask you, that: where does all this begin? I mean, this just doesn't happen in a vacuum. This all begins right back where he began. They believed the word of God. And what did they believe? Primarily, what Paul says, when you, you accepted the word, when I preached it, you received it. Not as a word from man, but as a word from God. And what was that word? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you shall be saved. That's what he preached, and that's what they believed. And out of that faith in Christ Jesus, justified, their sins dealt with, adopted in the household of faith, all of this then materialized. But it began with faith in Christ. And by the way, it continues with faith in Christ. We never get away from that. We're always going back to, do I trust Christ? Is my faith where it ought to be in Christ? And if it is, you'll love his church and you'll love his people. Don't forget that the church is made up of his people. We're not talking about loving this building. We're not talking about loving this lovely 22 acres up here. We're talking about the people that make up the church. That's the reason we love on each other. That's the reason we care about one another. That's what, why we help one another in hard times and in good times. Because we first loved Christ. And we love his church because he gave himself for the church. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your word. We ask you now to bless your church in this place like you did the church in Thessalonica. And most of all, we pray that you'd cause us establish our hearts, please, blameless in holiness before our God and Father, now and at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Give us faith, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.